0: Father. We honor you. We praise you. We adore you. We magnify you. Lord God almighty. O eternal king. Immortal invisible. Unto your name alone. Be honored. Glory. Power and dominion. Jesus. We enthrone you tonight. We thank you. Thank you Lord Jesus. For loving us so much. We honor you tonight. We bless you Father. Have your way in our midst. Thank you Father God. We bless you. In Jesus name. Thank you. If you may take your seat. Let's just dive straight into the word this evening. We welcome everyone that's here and those that's joining us by streaming. You are welcome to this week of teaching on the gospel of grace. Uh, so let's just dive very quickly. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. This is where. The scriptures or God explained or made a promise to Israel of a new covenant. So in verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And it's important for us every time we hear that word or that phrase, new covenant, to immediately reference that God is looking to replace the old with the new. If there was nothing wrong with the old, there would be no need for a new. So we need to immediately begin to key on that. Why is there a need for a new covenant? There was one that was already existing. Amen? Verse 32. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant... Which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33. "But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Last verse, verse 34. No, my, no more, rather. I'm sorry. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, "Know the Lord," for they all shall know me, from the least of them, to the greatest of them. Says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Now it's very interesting that when Paul began to establish uh, the teaching of the gospel of grace. He gave me the reference to this passage in Hebrews chapter 8. Can we just go there very quickly? Hebrews 8, verses 10 through 12. Hebrews 8, 10 through 12. Give me verse 8 in Hebrews 8. Let me just see what's, what, what that one says. Verse 8. Hebrews 8, 8. Thank you. I know I prepared you for good. Let's start from verse 7. Now, look at this. This is Hebrews 8, verse 7. This is the context leading to verses 10 and 12. Sometimes it's important to look at the context to give you full understanding. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So the reason God is given a second or rather a new covenant is because there was fault with the first one. Don't forget that. So we are not trying to teach a strange doctrine or a new doctrine or something that's far out there. This is God himself telling us that the old covenant was not without fault. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place will have been sought for a second. Verse 8. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Last verse, verse 12 For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins, and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That is good news. This is what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ good news. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, again, the review from, that, from Sunday just the highlights here, three main provisions of this new covenant. Number one, the forgiveness of sins. Number two, the ability or the access to having intimacy with God. That is a big deal. Amen? And number three, number three, the, 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 the transformation of our lives. Being able to finally become like God because of the inner working of God in all of our lives. Three biggies. Amen? So now tonight, what I want to do tonight is, uh, because I've been saying, I've, I've been making this statement that the gospel of grace, which is Jesus... It's not just a doctrine, it's not a curriculum, but rather a system of living. It's a way of life. I've been saying that over and over and over and over. And for some of us, we are hearing that and what we are wondering, okay, what does this mean to, 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 that grace is a way of life? It's a, it's a system of living. So tonight I want to show us a profile of a person in the Scriptures who fits that bill perfectly. Amen. So that by seeing this profile, we can identify with the fact that the gospel of grace is not just something I have in my head, it's not just a doctrine, it's not just pulling the verse of scripture out, but a complete, total system of living. Last Sunday, I defined for you what a system was. Does anybody remember that? Okay, I won't won't go there. Praise God. (laughs) A system is bringing several components together for one unified or harmonious purpose. And that's what the gospel of grace is. As human beings, we are are made of many systems. A car is made of several systems coming together and getting something done. So what I'm saying to us is gospel of grace is a way of living. It's a lifestyle. It's a system in the kingdom of God that allows you and I to live a victorious and fruitful, fruitful life. Okay, good. So now, uh, three quick things before I dive into this profile, and I'm looking at the time. Uh, I just want to remind us, in Acts 20.32, the Bible says, you and I are being built up by grace. Grace builds us up, Acts Acts 20.32. 2 Peter 3.18, which is very interesting. We're going to deal with that much more later on, especially coming from Peter. He said, we grow in Grace through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul exhorting his son, Timothy, he said, be strong in the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing that when you need to grow, or to be built up, or to be strong, the Bible refers ex- very explicitly that grace is the one that does it. Now, for the profile, go with me to Genesis Chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Let's look at a person in the scripture that fits the profile of grace being a living system. And speaking of none other than Joseph. 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 Genesis 37. Beginning from verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and he, the lad was with the sons of Bela, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wife, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was a son of his old age. Also, it made him a tunic of many colors. Let's just stop right there for a minute. By looking at the life of Joseph, from the first mention of his name to the last mention of his name in the scriptures, you see poster child of the gospel of grace. Are you hearing me? It is amazing to me that in the first introduction of this young man, Joseph, the Bible says to us that his father loved him So much, he gave him a coat of many colors. That was his first introduction. And the point I'm making with that introduction is if you and I are ever going to walk in the grace that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are going to make grace a lifestyle, if we're going to make grace a system of living, the first thing we must settle is the incredible, non-negotiable love that God has for you and I. Let that sink in. Now, we've talked about this for a long, for, for so much, we've talked about it so much, but what I'm finding is, there is one thing about having a head knowledge of something, and another thing about having a heart knowledge. And you're going to see in a minute, why this is so critically important. That you and I must come to that place of not just hearing how much God loves us, but going from hearing it to, to believing it and really be assured of it. So Genesis chapter 37, in verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Now, if you read regular commentaries of various Bible scholars, they'll tell you right here that, man, Jacob was a bad father, that he had no business discriminating and loving one child above the rest. And most of us as parents. When we hear that, we can almost identify with that and say, "Well, yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Why would you have three kids and love one and more than the rest?" Then you know it's you, you, when you start rationalizing that in your in your mind, you almost want to go there. But let me read one more scripture, Hebrews chapter one, verse. Hebrews chapter one. Verse nine, Abus one nine. There we go. This is the brother of Ibu giving us context about Jesus. Actually, let me pick up from verse, verse 5 so that I can give you context. If you begin from verse 1, you know already he's talking about Jesus, the Son of God. But from verse 5 here, it says, For we, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I've begotten you. And again, I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Oh, let's go on. But when he came, when he again brings the falseborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, it says, who makes his angels, spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, who is the Son? Jesus. But to the Son, it says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. He is the scepter of your kingdom. Verse 9. You have loved righteousness. I hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, like Jacob, God, like Jacob, God, like Jacob, I I don't know if I'm making connection. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the all of gladness more than your companions. So when you go back to Genesis 37, you see Jacob doing what God did here. Oh, I don't want you to miss that. Why did Jacob love Joseph more than everybody else? The answer is in Genesis 37 verse 2. Joseph was bringing the evil report of his brothers to Jacob. Why? Because Joseph loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. Mama Mandada Kabasha. God help us to see this. So what Jacob did with Joseph, God did with Jesus. You have loved righteousness and you hate iniquity. Therefore, God, God has anointed you above your brethren. Now, now, this is very important for all of us. Because we are talking about the gospel of grace and where it begins is the understanding and knowing that God loves us. Not just knowing it in your head but allow your heart to understand that God indeed against all odds in spite of everything else no matter what's happening no matter where you've been no matter how far down you've gone that God loves you unconditionally. Now, Jacob now did something. Because I had to ask myself the question. Okay, so the Bible tells us Jacob loved Joseph more than the rest of the other kids. How? What was the proof for Joseph to know that Papa really loves me? What was the positive proof that Joseph carried with him to assure him on a regular basis that his father loved him, the coat of many colors. So, Daddy Jacob didn't just love him and just say, "Ah, I love you. That would have been good enough. He went beyond just loving him by placing something on him that makes a difference. So whenever Joseph had the opportunity or reason to doubt his father's love, he went back to that quote. If that was the case for Joseph, what is the case for me and you now? What do we have to give us the assurance of God's unconditional, unfailing love? Well, don't let me just say it. Let me read it to you. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61. Verse 10. Isaiah 61, 10. There's... No, okay. (laughs) I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? Why? Why would I be joyful? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. And the first one of these garments that was mentioned, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. If you ever doubt the love of God for you, go back and look at your robe the robe of righteousness that God through the Lord Jesus Christ has given you. It's a free gift that he gave to you and it's called the gift of righteousness. If you are born again, you are wearing it right now. Amen. And anytime you have reason or curse to doubt how much God loves you or to wonder because of the dealings of life and the circumstances that's taking place around you, does God really love me? Things are not working for me. Just look at your robe. You have it on. It's called the robe of righteousness. Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. My goodness. Are we now surprised when we read in Luke chapter 22? When, no, Luke chapter 15, rather. Luke 15 in verse 22. Let's go there very quickly. Luke 15:22. when the younger brother returned back home to his father, after having gone astray, yes. Yes. when the father saw him coming, yes. but the father said to his servants, "Bring out what?" My God." This boy who thought he was lost. This boy who thought the father didn't like him because of what he has done. When he comes back home, the first thing we have to give him is not just a nice meal. It's not a pep talk about what he did wrong. The first thing we need to give you, boy, because you need to know you must must have a symbol of, of my affection. The first thing you need is a robe. Not just a robe, the best one. Are you guys seeing this? The Father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. I want him to be mocked so that the devil will know that in spite of what he has done to him, he's a mocked man. My love is on him. And you need to know tonight, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're coming from, you need to know tonight that in spite of all, God's love is unfailing." God's love will never, ever, never, ever be removed from you. As Joseph had a robe, as the young son had a robe, you and I have a robe. Amen. It's called the robe of righteousness. And we, we received that robe not because of anything we've done. Just like Joseph didn't do anything to earn the robe. This young son did not do anything to earn the robe. Neither did we do anything to endure. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 21 that God made him to be sin. Him that knew no sin. That's Jesus Christ, the son of God. He made it to be sin him that knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness that God gave us, that gift he gave us of righteousness is a proof of how much God loves us. That's why the enemy fights righteousness. It will do anything or say anything to you to move you from your position of righteousness. Righteousness means right standing. If the enemy can move you from that position of right standing with God, you're finished. That's why he fights it. Let's go to a couple more scriptures and I'll move on. Romans chapter five, verse seventeen. Romans five seventeen. We are looking at the profile of a person whose life was a system of living in grace. Romans five seventeen. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of what? Grace. This is the reason we call it the gospel of grace. Because you must understand the emphasis that God gives regarding our salvation through grace. It's huge. So much more those who receive what? the abundance of grace of the what? Gift of righteousness. We reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you tonight, you have been already, you've been suited to reign. My God. I said you've been suited to reign. You've been dressed to reign. The, 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 the garments of reigning is on you. It says the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life. Through the one, we must never forget that. Through the one, we must never forget that one. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is through his auspices that we receive and have everything we have because of the price he paid. Verse 21. Verse 21. Just jump to 21. Thank you. Now, so that as sin reigned in death, even so what? Grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, how did we get to this righteousness then? Love. Don't forget that. We're establishing how Joseph as, a, as one who was loved, had a token of that love in the robe he wore. And that robe is a representation of righteousness. That's how we got to righteousness. Now, what I don't want you to miss now, this is critical. We know from reading the scriptures in Genesis 37 onwards, how Joseph had a dream, and in that dream, people bowed down to him, and he saw himself as a leader, and ultimately, we saw him as number two in command in Egypt. Is that correct? Yes. Ah. So he, found, he ruled, didn't he? Did he rule in Egypt? Yes. Absolutely. Now you can understand that. Because righteousness makes you reign. Oh my God. Ah, God, help us to see it. Go back to verse 17. Go back to verse 17. Romans 5, 17. Go back to it. I don't want you to miss it. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign. Now, we're reigning life, thank you, we're reigning life now, he's not talking about reigning like the queen of England on the throne over a kingdom but he's talking about reigning over your circumstances reigning over the issues of life he's talking about you coming into alignment with your the reason for your creation, where God said you have dominion over the fish of the sea and over all of your things God connects all of this back through the gift of righteousness. This is what you need to reign over your circumstances, to reign over your situation, to reign in life, to reign over anything that's around you. If you don't have this, you are subject to all of the other conditions. But as a born-again person, this was freely given to you as a gift. But if the enemy constantly robs you of that, By causing you to doubt you're standing in God. Mm. Cause you to doubt, does God still love me? Mm. Cause you to doubt and say, Well, I did this yesterday, Mm. I was not so kind to my wife, I'm sure God is not happy with me any longer. Mm. As long as you are thinking like that, you cannot reign. Mm. You cannot reign. But when you understand that the righteousness you have Mm. is a gift from God that Jesus Himself placed on you, not because of your merit, but because of his merit. Now you're in a position to reign. You look at circumstances, circumstances, your subject. You look at whatever circumstances, you're subject. Why? Because through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, I reign. I reign. I cannot go back and be what God said as I am. Way back in Genesis. Does that, is that clear? Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Righteousness allows you to reign over the life, life's issues. Amen. Amen? Amen? Good. Number two with yourself. Number two thing we see in yourself is the fact that he had a relationship with God. Intimacy. He had an intimacy with God. How do we know this? We know this because the times was in prison, and even times before that, he was able to make a distinction and examine between good and evil. It was, no, it was, no, it was a no-brainer for him. He knew, he knew the things that were wrong and the things that were right. And remember, in this day and time, there was no law. No, you missed that. There was no law given at this time. Okay, let me say that again. The old covenant had not been given right here at this time. There was no tablet that says thou shall not kill, thou shall not murder, thou shall not covet. None of that. But because it was attuned with God, he knew the heart of God and he knew what was right and what was wrong. And that same Access you and I have today through the power of the Holy Spirit to have intimacy with God, to know God and to be able to hear him and to be able to follow him and to obey his promptings by the power of the Spirit. So we knew he was loved. We knew he had a relationship with God. Number three, he lived a holy life. He lived a holy life. I hear this talk all the time. People talk about how well, the gospel of grace is a license to sin. The people that say that are people that know, they, they know jack. They don't know jack about what grace is. Absolutely not. When you have the proper understanding of the gospel of grace, as we were saying today when I when met with the staff in the office, we were talking about that this, earlier today. There is no way you understand all of what Jesus has done. There's no way when you come to the full understanding of what Jesus and God has provided for us that sin will appeal to you any longer. It's not possible. It's mutually exclusive. I challenge you, you go read through the four Gospels. Every time Jesus confronted a sinner or came in the presence of someone who was insane, right. they left his presence changed. Okay. They did. I mean, there are example after example after example. Is it Zacchaeus? Who was a corrupt fraudster? Jesus didn't have to preach any message on him, to him about holiness just being in his presence, he began to confess and was willing and ready to make restitution. That's what the gospel of God's grace does to all of us when we become intimately, when we come to an intimate understanding of what this gospel is all about. So Joseph lived a holy life. Let's go to it. Genesis 39. Give me verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. Now, this is a young man. I don't know how old Potiphar's wife was. But she saw an opportunity for this young guy to say, Wow, this would this, this be wonderful. But he refused. Why will he refuse a thing like that? He was single? Away from home? More than likely, nobody will know about it. Or if anything, she might even engineer his promotion? In the natural, it was all win-win-win. But the Bible says he refused. And said to his master's wife, Look. My master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. It's raining. Did you miss that? You see, once you put on this template of grace, and you start reading scriptures, there's no one greater than me in this house. I'm in charge of this house. I reign in this house. Why am I reigning? Righteousness is in me. (laughs) No, has he kept back anything from me but you? Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Remember, there was no commandment about adultery yet. How did he know what he said? I'm about to show you something tonight. And I pray to God in the name of Jesus that when we understand what I'm about to say, this concept, sin will fall off of you like butter. It is so simple, but very profound. Let's read this verse again. There is no greater one in this house than I nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Hmm. While I'm explaining this, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. This is the point, you all. Actually, leave this, leave this here for, for right now. I beg you, I'm sorry. <laughs> when he said there's no one greater in this other than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice the word he used, how can I do this great wickedness? The wickedness now leads to sinning against God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You cannot be wicked against God. You can only be wicked against a man. Watch yeah. 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 where I'm going. Yeah, sir. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. I can be wicked to do, yep. and that wickedness causes me to sin against God. Yep. But I cannot be wicked to God. So, what is Joseph saying? He said, in light of the benevolence that my master has given me, the privilege, the authority, the blessings that this man has conferred on me, Abba, how can I now violate all of that? and betray the man's trust and become wicked to him and by extension because I'm wicked to him I sin against God are you hearing this explanation because we are talking about holiness about living a life that's sin free by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit how does it happen how can we get there the answer is very simple Love is the antidote of sin. In other words, this man has showed me so much love in making all of this privilege available to me. Who am I? Except for the love I've received from him. How do I now betray that love by trespassing against him and causing him to sin against God, what kept Joseph back? Love did. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. If I love my brother, I will not trespass against him. Why? Because the love I have for him, we say back is a no-go. If I love my sister, love will restrain me from doing anything to violate her. Now you are beginning to see why the the gospel of grace and the new covenant is all about love. As I've loved you, so love one another. Because if you walk in love, God understands that if we imbibe love, it solves all the other problems. Paul now said this. Second Corinthians, now I'm ready for that. Chapter 5, verse 14. Second, thank you. For the love of God compels us. Give it to me in another translation. Find all of them. (laughs) Begin with NLT. Look at that. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Just when I'm about, I'm about to step out of town, yeah. that love of Christ in me controls me. Say, pull back bank It's a no go. Oh, hallelujah! Give it to me, an amplified. Just, just find them all. Keep, keep on giving them to me. <laughs> amplified. For the love of Christ does what? Controls and urges and impels us. You try to stop sinning. Get love. See, this is what the old guys didn't understand. When I say old guys, I don't mean old as in age. I'm talking, about, <laughs> I'm talking about old covenant guys. Because we are giving people 10 rules, things they must do to stop sinning. I did it, so I know what I'm talking about. We give them a laundry list of things they must do or not do so they don't fall into sin. When I need to give them one thing, Love. Because the Bible says, in Romans thirteen eight, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is the antidote for sin. This is why, I, and I'm glad Joseph broke it down. Because Paul did not break it down. But when you read what Joseph said, and it, you, you see how he, he listed his place, the honor he has received, and the love that's been given him in that house, and then the explanation that how, in spite of all of this, can I do this wickedness? Folks, this is the gospel of grace in action. You see, it's a system that love he received from his father, and the love that restrained him in Egypt. He got the love in Canaan, and that love is still working in Egypt. It doesn't no matter what your location is. Love works. Yes. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love never fails. Yes. It never fails. Wow. For Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. And <laughs> That's a message translation. <laughs> Give me one more and then we need to go. We need to move on. One more. Thank you, Jesus. Ah! <laughs> this girl is not walking in love tonight. <laughs> 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 ah! Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen. 5, 14. It's chapter 5, verse 14. <laughs> Praise God. But, but are you guys understanding this tonight? Yes. The, the, the key point here is understanding that the gospel of grace is a system of living. It's a lifestyle. It's not just something you do on Sundays and stop doing on Monday. It's not something you do at church you don't do at home. It's not something you do at home you don't do at work. It is a lifestyle. You cannot separate any of the compartments of our life. Mm. It's all there together. Are you going to find this thing, ma'am, or? Well, the trans- <laughs> oh, okay. That's the one you made in your village. Do you have Okay, okay, okay. This, this is good. This is the last one. We are ruled by the love of God. Yes. You see that? We are worried about it. so the, the the everything boils down to love. We are worried about the love of God. The reason Joseph didn't sin it was because of the love of God in his heart. The reason you don't sin, I don't sin. The reason sin does not overtake us is because of the love of God. But when that love tank is empty, when you have room to doubt your right standing with God and whether He loves you or not. You are capable of doing anything. Anything. Amen? So let's move on. Let's move on. It said 14. So number one, we know that Joseph was loved and he knew. He knew of his father's love because he received the robe uh, of many colors, which we said is the symbol of righteousness. We know he had a relationship with God. We know he lived a holy life in a time when the law had not been given. We see that love will keep you from sinning. Number four. Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. Verse 4 and 5. Actually, we can start from verse 3. Revelation, I'm sorry, verse 3. Genesis 45, verse 3. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brother could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. You cannot embrace the gospel of grace and don't give grace. You must be forgiven. Or you must give forgiveness. Now, I'm not saying you give forgiveness as a condition to be forgiven. No. No. What I'm saying, you freely forgive others. Why? Because you've been freely forgiven. We see here in Joseph's life. Verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. In case you're wondering who this is, check me out. So they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. You can just imagine the trembling in those brothers. Finally, they say, said, our sins have caught up with us. Today is today. (laughs) Today is judgment day. Hey, in Egypt. God has caught us today. (laughs) Verse 5. But now, do not be grieved. Or angry with yourselves. How can anybody say that? Do you understand what Joseph had been through? The years and the pain, the agony, the betrayal. Do you understand the magnitude of what happened to this young boy? And now he's looking face to face. He's beholding those who did this evil. And he says, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be grieved because you sold me here. But the truth is God sent me before you to preserve life. If you understand this principle, all of us will have fulfilled incredible, harmonious, blessed marriages. All of us will have incredible friendships and relationships, particularly for those of us that, those of us that, that may not be married, it, it will totally liberate us. Because at the end of the day, whatever irritation your spouse brings, when you've received grace, you can now understand that those irritations are a recipe for your character development. Yeah. Can never, it can never destroy you. Never, I'm telling you. Joseph demonstrated what God has been trying to teach us for years now about freely you've received, freely give. I mean, what's tougher than this than to see the people who sold you into slavery? who orchestrated it and said those evil things and now they need your help. Some of us say, I've been waiting for you for this day. <laughs> Today's today. today I've been, uh, yeah, uh, you're coming. Yeah, come, come. <laughs> but that's not the nature of God. And the reason we struggle with this is because we have not fully come to, to, to grip with how much we have been forgiven. That's right. We know it in our head, but we have not fully come to grips with how much we've been forgiven. Let's just go to Matthew chapter 18 as I bring this to wrap. Matthew chapter 18. Actually, before you go there, I'm sorry, dear. Let's touch one more scripture in Genesis. Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. So now, even though Joseph told them in Genesis 45, don't be angry with yourself, don't be grieved. You sold me to slavery, God sent me here. They still didn't believe in this, They were still afraid. They still said, okay, Papa is still alive. I'm sure Papa will find a way to, if this guy wants to misbehave. So now, Jacob now died. They say, hey! Jacob is dead. (laughs) This boy will will deal with us now. So in Genesis 50, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus tells me and you today that the Holy Spirit does not convict us, but rather convinces us of righteousness. righteousness. Do you see how hard Joseph is working to assure them? Yeah. We have not heard one time when those guys express, Oh, now nah, please forgive us. Uh, don't hurt us. No! Who took the initiative? Joseph. Joseph was the one in Genesis 45 that took the initiative to assure them do not be grieved, do not be angry. You sold me, but God sent me here. Here again. He said, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Humility. Yep. Yep. Remember I told you on Sunday? Yep. Dependence. Dependence of God. Yes. Verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, very quickly, let's go to Matthew 18, verse 21. Now, What we're talking about tonight is where the rubber meets the road for all of us. Every single one of us has a person in our lives that's angry with us, or we're angry with them, or we know someone who knows someone who's in that condition, and we're struggling. What do we do? How do we do? Blah, 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 on and on and on. And I'm telling you, if you receive grace, you better give grace. There's no other answer. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Peter said he was really doing good by forgiving seven times. Jesus said to him, I did not say to to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. 490 times in the day, Peter. Okay? (laughs) Therefore, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Don't miss this. Go on. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. In today's money, that's ten million dollars. Ten million dollars. You can see that in NIV. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and that payment be made. So that means this man is a man of substance. Number one, you cannot owe $10 million if if you don't have anything. Many of us here don't owe $10 million. (laughs) (laughs) The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me. And I will pay you all. Notice the mindset of this guy. That's right. He had a mind to say, I will walk long enough to pay. Mm-hmm. His expectation at this time is, just give me time. Mm-hmm. Next verse. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion mm-hmm. and released him and forgave the debt. Right. Now don't miss what happens in verse Verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. You know how much that is—twenty dollars. <laughs> now, this is what we call wickedness here at work. You owed somebody ten million dollars that was forgiven. Now, somebody owes you twenty dollars, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay. Exact same thing he said is what the man said to him. Yes, Verse 30. And he will not, but went and threw him into prison. till he... Let's stop right there. Now, what do you think happened here? Why do you think the man who was forgiven $10 million did not forgive the man that owed him $20? What do you think is happening here? There's a key between verse 27 and verse 28. Go back to verse 27. Go back to that verse 27. Pardon me? Okay. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. What happened to this man who was forgiven? Question Where is the gratitude? Somebody forgives you ten million dollars. You didn't pack there and said, I, I am so grateful, I am so thankful. Thank you so much that you deliver them from such a chain that's been man 10 million. He didn't do any of that. This is the point I'm making. This is a picture of grace that was declared and grace that was not received there was a proclamation of grace to the man you're asking for time i'm going to surpass time you're asking to give you more time i will surpass it why because i'm the god that do exceedingly abundantly above that which you are able to think or ask i to the pastors who are working with me. You are asking me for time. I know I heard what you said, but I will surpass what you're asking. I give it beyond your expectation. I cancel the debt. That's right. That's right. Debt cancelled. Uh, okay. I'm going to go beyond what you're asking for because that's the God I. That's the kind of God I am. Grace declared, but grace not received. I'm sorry to say to us tonight, that's where many of us are. We've been hearing the gospel of grace, preached and declared, but for many of us, it's still in our head. It's never entered our heart. It's not received. Because when it's received, your life will take a significant, exponential turn. People will be asking you, what happened to you? We are like this man in Matthew chapter 18. Grace has been declared but it's not been received. This is the reason we pray and I'm going to close it out there tonight. Do you you see the message? Do you see that this is a, a complete lifestyle? It's not just a matter of receiving, getting blessed, getting blessed. There's responsibility. As Christ has forgiven you, so forgive others, he says. When are we going to start living apart out? Because when we're living apart out, all of a sudden, the squabbles, the quarrels, the irritations, the disagreements, the arguments at our homes go down to a minimum. Minimum. Completely. Because now, you give your spouse much more room. Much more latitude. Recognizing that if God don't help you, you're in a worse situation. So before you judge him or her, you judge yourself first. That's what grace does. That's what grace does. Can we just stand to our feet?